Hey everybody, welcome once again to the goods. Time loop month drags ever onward. This is Brian. And Dan. And we've got another film in which a set period of time repeats for one of the characters. Today we'll be taking a look at the 2007 Nickelodeon TV movie, The Last Day of Summer. Did you watch it, Dan? I did. I... I watched about 10 minutes and I had about 10 things I wanted to point at and laugh at. And so I, I sent you a message. This would have been a really fun one to sit down and watch together with a couple of beers and some popcorn and riffing at what's going on on the screen. I think I agree. This is a movie that rewards a group watch. So I actually sat down and checked this one out with my younger brother who was a previous podcast guest. My brother Andrew actually remembers tuning in for the initial airing of this film on July 20th, 2007. So this was the same summer that I was being bombarded with High School Musical 2 trailers. Uh, It would drop about a month after this one on August 17th, 2007. Right, and that would have been on Disney, and this is Nickelodeon even though they have approximately the same feel. Right. So one one channel apart, yeah, at least on my dial. Gotcha. And this movie is not to be confused with Last Day of Summer from 2009. So that that one sounds pretty different. I think it's about a fast food worker kidnapping a woman. So it's good to know that I think we both watched the same movie. <laughs> yeah. No no kidnappings of note in the one that I uh the one that I watched. Uh, Although I will say it's worth noting that both films have about identical IMDb ratings. I think one has got a 5.1 and one has got a 5.2, but their Rotten Tomatoes scores are very different. This one, The Last Day of Summer, actually has a 66% on Rotten Tomatoes, while 2009's Last Day of Summer has about 17%. Interesting probably has to do with target demographics like the reviewers who reviewed this knew that it was a cheesy kids movie as opposed to i I don't know anything about the other one but i assume it's targeted at adults perhaps a drama probably and i feel like it's to be a kind of middle of the road slightly below average drama uh it's easier to get about a five on imdb than to be a, a cheesy kids movie That seems astute. So were you watching much Nickelodeon in the summer of 2007, Dan? Summer 2007 was actually the summer after my freshman year of college. And the first year that I worked for the company that you actually now work for. It's crazy to think that was 14 years ago when I started working there. Um, I don't work there anymore. You still work there, at least somewhat I know. Yep. Um, But that's what I was doing with most of my time. I I was pretty busy and I was, when I was tuning in, it it wasn't really Nickelodeon all that often. Although this is around the time that iCarly came out and I did watch quite a bit of iCarly in my day. So Jeanette McCurdy appears somewhat prominently in this film. She's a supporting character, but about a month after this movie, 
iCarly would premiere in which she would play sidekick Sam, later to go on to star in spin-off series Sam and Cat. So this is kind of a, a mixing pot. It's kind of a middle point. The the Schneider verse was riding high. Drake and Josh had presumably come to a close, but we were on the brink of iCarly here. And iCarly would be one of Nickelodeon's biggest hits ever. Interestingly, Jeanette McCurdy started a podcast right around the time we started a podcast. Brian, I don't know if you knew that. I I looked her up after I saw this movie to see what she was up to these days. So <laughs> I did not know that. I wonder who's got more followers. <laughs> but before we dive too deep into the meat of this film, what time loop discussion do we have that might be pertinent? Two weeks ago, we talked about what you would do in your first 100 days. And to me, that is kind of like laying out how you sort of discover the rules and when you're first kind of getting the feeling of the time loop and how it works and stuff. But now I want to I want to go to kind of the next phase of that. So let's say that you've established that you have Groundhog Day rules. So in the I've outlined the five Groundhog Day rules in various episodes this month. If you had Groundhog Day rules, which is to say at 6 a.m. the following day or when you fall asleep, you subsequently wake up at the start of the day again and death also restarts the loop. Um, What are some things that you would do knowing that you essentially have no consequences for your actions? What are are the ways you would test your power that you'd, you'd feel out this world and experiment and and do different things, particularly things that you probably couldn't get away with in a world where you have to face up to the consequences of your choices. Man, I don't know that my answer is going to be that interesting. I I feel like it might be everybody's go-to answer, which is probably just channel the deadly sins, at least the ones that have to do with incontinence, by which I don't mean you know, digestive incontinence, but rather a lack of uh, inhibition and regulation. So, you know, you can rattle them off. Wrath, avarice, sloth, pride, lust, envy, gluttony, probably potential for all manner of immoderation. Yeah, mix and match all those. Definitely, for me, thinking on the gluttony one, I would want to spend all my money and go to expensive restaurants and try out all the different foods that I can try out things that I would never realistically do in my own actual budget. I think that would be pretty fun. I think the money thing is an interesting point because yeah, you could spend it on something new every day, right? You could get the most expensive, whatever you want, put it on credit card that you will never have to make a minimum payment on. Yeah. It's a shame that, lottery numbers get announced at like 11 p.m. and you have to wait to get the money. Otherwise, that could be interesting potential to explore in a time loop movie. So it's funny you say that uh, the Amazon Prime one that came out this year that I mentioned, the map of tiny perfect things that I had a pretty mixed reaction to overall, but it had some fun. It, It basically took the conclusion of Groundhog Day that you need to be like live an ideal version of your life on it as a given. And so we open the movie seeing the main character in Medius race and his time loop, basically living every day. Like it's the best one and trying to get one more thing perfect each time. 
which I thought was a cool setup. I thought it shifted too hard into team romance, but it, it was fun to see some of the things that they thought about for that. And one was he would every day, he knew what the lottery numbers were. And in this film, the lottery numbers were announced on TV during lunchtime. And so he would always like leave a winning lottery ticket with a random person and then get to see their reaction when they saw the, the lottery numbers, which I thought was a, a fun idea. Oh yeah. I like that, that would be something. Cause you could go the other way too. Like this isn't really a lack of consequences. This is more like the knowledge of the time loop. You could do fun stuff like that. Like another one I thought about is memorize some of the stock market and then get like Robin hood or one of those trading apps that allows you to make really quick trades and like see how much money you can make in one day. Can you get up to a hundred million? Can you get up to a billion dollars in one day? by knowing exactly which when each stock is going to go up and down. I don't know. Yeah, it's interesting. I think what would hold me back from doing anything too extreme would not be, you know, Andy Samberg's pitch of they may not remember what we do, but we remember what we do. Right, you got to live with yourself. It would be the fear that whatever bad rip of the day is the one that ends up going forward. I think that would be interesting to explore in a time loop movie. Like whatever the, the shittiest outcome <laughs> was, that's what they have to the live opposite. With. Oh, I like that. The opposite of Groundhog Day. Your worst day is the one that you're stuck with. Yeah, that's a fun, fun idea. Another one that I really want to do that would definitely be on my list. So we, we both live in Northern Virginia, the suburbs of DC. I would want to go to the DC Zoo and break into all of the animal compounds and play with the animals and, you know, try to ride a, a camel or a zebra or whatever they have there and pet the, the penguins and see if I can be slick enough to like get some of the animals to battle each other in some way or something. I don't know. I would definitely have <laughs> the zoo be one of the epicenters of my experimentation. I like this story. So you do, you learn whatever you needed to learn to pet a bear exactly yes either you die and it resets <laughs> or you just become a bear whisperer yeah and you know what if the grizzly bear mauls me when i try to give him a little pat then whatever i, I suffer for how many hours maybe i even just you know die right away or go black right away just wake up the next day oh well i may have been mauled but at least i got to pet a grizzly bear that's a good plan i did want to give a shout out I only ever took a one-semester philosophy class, but a relevant discussion is on the subject of Gyges Ring. This was a thought experiment by... I think it's Plato. Plato? Yeah, I think it was Plato with his academy, where he raised the question of if you had a super-powered magic ring that would make you invisible, what would you do? So people have been mulling over the no consequences question for a long time. That's an interesting one. Yeah. Do you know what his conclusion were? his conclusions were? Cause I feel like, I mean, I assume the way that he thought about it is, you know, character is the thing that you do when nobody's watching that to be a good person, you would need to be able to do good things, even if you had that ring, but I'm not sure where he ended up going with that. Uh, <laughs> a quick uh, excision from the Wikipedia article in question. In The Republic, 
The tale of the Ring of Gyges is described by the character of Glaucon, who is the brother of Plato. Glaucon asks whether any man can be so virtuous that he could resist the temptation of killing, robbing, raping, or generally doing injustice to whomever he pleased if he could do so without having to fear detection. Glaucon wants Socrates to argue that it's beneficial for us to be just, apart from all considerations of our reputation. And I don't know where they come down on that. I guess just... It was more just the teacher raised this conundrum. A new way of thinking about activities is separating the morality of them from the consequences of them. I I like that. There's so much time for activities. (laughs) You've also been watching some other films that might fit this theme so did you want to uh give a shout out to any other time loop movies you've been watching lately dan so i actually have not finished any other time loop movies this past week i did start a very creepy time loop movie from india on netflix called game over but it kind of went a more directly horror themed it wasn't supernatural horror at all but it was definitely like scarier than happy death day so that one was a little bit different. And, and it was it was in Hindi and uh, subtitled, although they mixed in a lot of English, which was kind of disorienting. One sentence would be Hindi, one sentence would be English, but I had the subtitles on. So, yeah. Oh, uh, imperialism. <laughs> That's interesting, though. What about you? I have not been searching out additional time loop films. It's good to know they're out there. This is something we could explore more in the future. I will say one of the reasons I didn't want to finish Game Over is not to spoil a point that we'll probably get to in about 20 minutes, but I did not want to ruin our brunette streak. Every single time movie I have seen this month, and I think I'm at 10 now, has had the, the end of the loop, the end of the time loop coincide with the main character getting together with a brunette, which I do not think was in the cards for Game Over. Well, I think it's a pretty good chance that anybody involved is going to have dark hair. (laughs) That's a good point. Yeah. So if there was going to be any romantic element, then it, it would be, but I like that. That's time loops have like this grand unifying brunette theory of how to escape a time loop. And we'll see if it bears out for us today. (laughs) And uh, maybe at Christmas time, we'll do the month of it's a wonderful life scenarios. Wishing you'd never been born. Yeah, that would be a good one. Because then we could revisit Shrek forever after. <laughs> what are some other mechanics? I feel like you could do the, the Rashomon thing, too. True. Have our time manipulation mechanic theme months once a year. Or perspective manipulation. But the film in question today is 2007's The Last Day of Summer. It opens on Labor Day Eve. So tomorrow is going to be Labor Day, the last day of summer. And protagonist Luke Malloy is on the verge of beginning middle school. Now, this kid is played by Jansen Panettiere. And if that name rings a bell, it's because he is the younger brother of Hayden Panettiere, the hero star, and then... Nashville. She's been in a few things. But I strongly suspect that even in 2007, there might have been some nepotism at work here. It does seem like they wanted to have this movie make him a thing. It was supposed to be like, I I haven't dug too deep in his experience in filmography, but just 
the the gist I'm getting is, hey, here's a big movie. We'll get this guy who we know has the DNA of a star. He's got generic nice guy looks. He could be a star. Let's make him star of the movie. It's too bad that he's just such a little shit, and I did not enjoy watching him in the slightest. Yeah, semi-spoilers, but this kid is obnoxious. <laughs> he just has an annoying face. I completely agree. He does not have the performance chops to overcome that. Uh, but he is anxious because he's going into middle school. He's going to have to face new challenges. And he has an older sister who is kind of yanking his chain. Kind of intentionally putting him on edge by saying things like, you know, oh, middle school's a whole different world. And kind of the big threat that she levels against him is that in middle school you grow apart from your friends that people are going to pursue different interests and end up in different cliques and high school musical style that's the status quo that obviously you don't you don't cross pollinate between cliques so find out what your group is because that's what you're going to be a part of going forward it does make you think a little bit i I feel like middle school you're not quite there elementary school you're just going to be friends with the kids who are in your class there's not really any reasoning behind it it's not like you're choosing people who have the same interests or the the same activities that they want to pursue i mean you might get some of that it's just a much smaller selection pool of people so i feel like in in general you're just going to be buddies with whoever's there you know what you know what they call that dan (laughs) i do propinquity that's right one of our favorite words here on the goods but in the meantime, before they have to head out into the, the quote-unquote real world of middle school and become distinct people, Luke is still hanging out with his elementary school friends, and they're going to have a camp out in the backyard in a tent. So his closest friends are guys named AJ and Riley, and they, they pitch their tent out in the backyard... And they're kind of also mulling over the looming challenges that middle school will present. One of which is, there's not going to be any more recess. And I remember that one really striking me as a sixth grader. Oh, interesting. I think in some districts, middle school includes sixth grade. I got the sense that that might be the case here. It might be a sixth, seventh, and eighth thing in the Northern Virginia region. I don't know where you're listening. But we do it where 7th and 8th is middle school and 6th is the last year of elementary. It's funny you say that because it actually varies by county. And I actually lived in a different county than you. And my county did 6th, 7th, and 8th. But almost everyone at the high school that we went to together was in your county. And they did only 7th and 8th. Interesting. Yeah, I could see it being very different. Like, it seems like it wouldn't make that much difference, but... Being a sixth grader in one situation versus the other, I, I think, has an impact. Now, in The Wonder Years, the classic TV show, they did it a little bit differently. They had two high schools. So I guess it was high school and junior high school. I always called it middle school. But when it's just two grades of middle school, it's then four grades of high school. So you have six years, but not distributed equally. But in the wonder years, you had three years of one. So it was 
um, seventh, eighth, ninth. And then the high school was just 10th, 11th, 12th grade. To me, that makes a little more sense than, than doing the two and then four. I don't know. That's interesting. But I mean, it is equal if you break it down that it's six years elementary, six years secondary. That is true. That's a good point. Because the, the two biggest schools around me were Lake Braddock and Robinson. And those were buildings that had the seventh and eighth in one part of the school and then ninth, 10th, 11th, 12th in another part of the school, but all as one organization. That makes a little more sense so, to me. Yeah. There's, there's a couple <laughs> ways to do it. A couple ways to break it down. But I think reading the Wikipedia article, it said that they're about to start sixth. Grade, okay. So, but however you slice it, they're going into middle school. Then the morning dawns, it's labor day. There's this weird chipmunk puppet in the yard that I originally read as it was supposed to be a groundhog, as like a groundhog day homage, but then later they specify that it's a chipmunk. So what what did you make of this puppet? I didn't get the puppet. I, I didn't really know what was going on. The puppet ends up playing a role in the very last loop, but otherwise he's just there as an interloper and seems to at least some extent kind of be a part of the time loop or like have some awareness that the main character is going through the time loop. Like some of the goofy things they do seem to represent what's going on with, with him, but <laughs> it kind of stuck out to me as, uh, as, as just kind of odd. I didn't really hate it, but it was just, just weird. Yeah. My thought initially was whoever made the film thought a time loop required a groundhog. <laughs> like You can't have one without the other, but what it was really more like was Caddyshack, the gopher in Caddyshack. So I don't exactly know what they were going for. But I will say these puppets were provided by the Chiodo Brothers, which is an effects studio who they're kind of behind a lot of the 80s and 90s like B-movie effects. Their most iconic production was Killer Clowns from Outer Space, but they also did the claymation sequences in Pee-wee's Big Adventure. Uh, they reused all their clown suits and painted them up as trolls for Ernest Scared Stupid, the Ernest Halloween special. Just wanted to give them their due. Yeah, that's a good pull. Uh, I, w I wasn't fully on board with the chipmunk puppets, but Chiodo Brothers do some good work. <laughs> At other times. And of course, you have to start the day off with a fart joke. We've talked about some of the goofy things that have been the start of the loop in different movies. Just so appropriate that if you're going to have a middle school focused movie, that the fart is the, the opening thing that you get to see over and over again. Yeah, a fart in a sealed tent. But after they get up and start their day, Luke and his friends head to the local fairgrounds because apparently this town has an annual Labor Day celebration. What's your experience with local festivals, Dan? I'm glad you mentioned that, because one of my strongest points for this movie is I really felt like it captured the feeling of these late summer festivals. I had one that was in my neighborhood. We would go down to the park on 4th of July, which I guess is a little different. You're in the throes of summer there. But... There was always something so magical and full of possibilities and freedom about these festivals. There's there's a big one in uh, the town I live in that 
they do one every year. And now as an adult, it's not, doesn't have quite the same magic, but it's, it's still really fun. I really like these kinds of local festivals. And I thought this movie did a good job of capturing the, the magic of it. Yeah. In the town where I grew up, Burke, they have a fall festival, which is like the f- end of the first week of school. So it's usually like September 11th or thereabouts. But definitely fond memories there. Uh, My perspective on it has changed over the years. Because, you know, when you're a little kid, you see the the beanbag toss and the music groups playing. And as I've grown up and I've read the signs a little bit more, a lot of these groups that do it are just like local businesses and local craftspeople. It's you know, a way for people to generate some revenue. And with the company that we have both worked at, at various periods, we do school programs. And so part of our business is to do booths at some of these fairs. And what I've found is that you see a lot of the same people moving from place to place. And so that's kind of why when each town does it, travels across the calendar. At least in my mind, it's to accommodate these traveling, not quite carnies, but business people who benefit from these fairs and and food vendors, of course. You got to have your fried Oreos and things. That's the one that I always see is it's like this really tall food vendor that has a really busy sign of all the different fried things that you can get that would give me a stomachache 10 minutes after I ate them. So AJ Riley and protagonist Luke, they go and ride on various fairground rides. There's this cool spinning thing that they're on most of the reps. And I liked imagining the camera guy sitting in the little car with them. (laughs) I didn't think about that, but you're probably right. And we get introduced, of course, to the beats that we're going to see as the day loops. You got to have a couple little visual things that happen that'll cue us in that things are repeating so they ride the spinny thing they have this awkward encounter with some girls because obviously this is middle school you got to have that element of it and they run into luke's crush a girl named alice another thing that this vividly captures about the middle school experience is the girls being a full head taller than the guys. <laughs> I was thinking of that. Do you remember too. that era, Dan? I do quite well. Also not just taller, but just more mentally developed. There's a movie that came out a few years ago, actually written and directed by the comedian Bo Burnham called eighth grade. And he said he was inspired to make this movie when he did some some sort of thing where he got to interact with a lot of middle schoolers and found that the girls all had like pretty interesting internal lives, like trying to understand the world around them and like perceive their emotional growth and figure out how they fit into the world. And all the boys were just talking about video games and farts and food and stuff and how he, he wanted to like capture this specific kind of weird phase when you feel alone in the world as a middle school girl when uh, you haven't quite moved into the young adult world yet. So, but yeah, I definitely distinctly remember that phase. So we've got Luke's crush, Alice, and her best friend is like a sassy, not quite mean girl, 
but she is played by uh, Sam from iCarly, the the friend. And she outclasses all of the other middle school actors. She's she seems to be one of the only actors here who actually like knows they're a character and not just reading lines. I don't know. Sorry, I'm kind of going off a tangent here. No, I, I think it's it's worth noting that our leads are by far the <laughs> most forgettable yeah. acting performances. Uh, I think the friends of Luke hold up a little better than Luke himself. I agree. Uh, yeah. Not that they're star-making turns by any means, but uh, the friend Riley... I hesitate slightly to say the black friend and the Hispanic friend, but that's what they are. Right. But Riley, Hispanic friend, gets to say some kind of psychobabble lines. Like his his parents are apparently both psychologists, and so he's always coming at things from that angle. And then uh, AJ, black friend, he is slightly more charismatic than the other ones. I don't know. I could see being his friend. Yeah, I agree. I really liked the psychobabble bit that you mentioned because it gives the main character who's, again, not doesn't seem very bright or very interesting, some context to think about the conundrum that he ultimately goes through a little bit more. Yeah, it raises the intellectual level of the film overall. You know, it raises some of the classic questions of time loop films a little more thoughtfully than we might otherwise have gotten. Then each rep of the loop, we're still in our first one at this point, but we're always going to get a scene at the skate park. There's this group of older teens who are all skating in this, you know, empty pool, a big skater bowl. I, I don't know the lingo, although I learned some of it in this film, but they're all dropping in and doing their tricks in the cement basin and this group is led by i think we can both agree is the undisputed breakout star a guy named snake <laughs> yeah this guy ro- rules he's easily the best part of the movie in terms of entertainment value he gets the what's the word like when something is semi-sensical and language not pigeon i think there's another word that i'm thinking of but just the skater jargon that is only partially comprehensible, just nails it, and gets easily the funniest lines of the movie, some of which I had to think about a couple times. I had to listen over and be like, what is he talking about? I don't know. Oh, okay, he's making a riff on that. I get it. But yeah, he he was easily... I wanted more just him talking about, like, narrating what's going on, just walking around and, like, talking about it. I want a whole loop where somehow he convinces Snake to walk around with him and describe what's going on. That would have easily been my favorite loop of the movie if they pulled that off. <laughs> but here on the first go-through, Riley, one of the friends, seems to be the best skater. And he's doing some tricks and getting approving looks from Snake and his crowd. And Luke starts to fear that what his sister foretold is coming true, that, in fact, the friends are going to find different cliques and grow apart. This setup with the skaters also made me really wish that the 90s remake of Bucket of Blood had focused on skaters. Oh, I like that. Yeah, some context for listeners. We mentioned it in our Bucket of Blood episode about a month ago, 
that there was a 1995 remake that neither of us had seen and both of us had some interest in watching it and I managed to track down a VHS copy at which Brian then digitized and we both watched and it doesn't really do anything to modernize they're basically still beatniks and you're right that they needed something and skaters now that you mention it would have been a great one and you could have gotten in all that that uh lingo and yeah man i think you're right that's a missed opportunity all right because this gave me a similar feeling snake gives me updated maxwell brock (laughs) vibes like maybe you couldn't have done it in 1995 but if you made it in 1999 yeah i think it would totally work max maxwell brock's pro skater yeah (laughs) the skateboard shaman yeah and then another key element we get in this day is the friends face off with the school bully whose name is meat. (laughs) And I think you might've had some thoughts to share on meat. I mean, his name is meat. They literally named the school bully meat. Although there is a plot point where that's not really his name, but man, I just got a lot of joy out of that. I will say, even though his name was meat, if you were to say there's a school bully named meat, think about what that looks like in, in your mind's eye. It does not look at all like what he actually looks like. He's kind of an emo-looking type guy. He's got black clothes on and a sort of scene haircut. And uh, I, I think they should have leaned into like the crab and goyle, big dumb guy thing. Exactly. You expect a lunk, and he looks like a My Chemical Romance kid. Right. Or something. Like, who is it? Adam Lambert or something? I don't know. He's got, yeah. If you're going to name him Meat, lean into that, man. Although, I guess I didn't really think about Snake as the name of the skater is also pretty goofy. I will say there's a lot of good t-shirts in this movie. Like, uh, one of Meat's cronies has, like, a skull and crossbones on his shirt, like Sid from Toy Story. (laughs) And then there's this skater rival at the park who's, like, a slightly older kid who's also trying to impress Snake. And he's got some crazy t-shirt with a bunch of skeletons and angels and stuff. Meanwhile, our main character is wearing the ubiquitous at the time button-up shirt with a t-shirt underneath it. And the button-up shirt is unbuttoned. Yeah, that was definitely a middle school look. I remember my brother rocking that. Although I did like how the three friends are (laughs) color-coded. One is blue, one is green, one is red. They're like the Power Rangers or something. (laughs) I like that. And at the culmination of this festival, the three friends are supposed to take the stage to perform as a band. So that's something that it's building to. Their band is named Steel Monkey. And there's this repeated joke that doesn't make a lot of sense where... People are like, oh, is that steel like a noun or steel like a verb? But the stupid thing is like, presumably they've written it out at some point. <laughs> like to apply for the festival, they would have had to write it down. And those two things are spelled differently. So why are people confused? That's a good point. It's almost like a placeholder for a funnier band name to make fun of. Like, that's just not that funny of a thing to make fun of the name. Oh, which steel is it? I don't know. It's a made up name anyways. I don't know. You, you need you need an even dumber name there. And I feel like middle schoolers would have come up with an even stupider name than Steel Monkey. Yeah. I mean, Steel Monkey is a more legitimate name than like the goofy band names on Parks and Rec. 
Right. Like you 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 could more reasonably imagine Steel Monkey fans than Mouse Rat fans. <laughs> but we never quite get to the band's performance because obviously this is a time loop movie. So at some point things have to start over. And in this case it always happens when Luke gets knocked unconscious, which in the standard loop and here at the beginning happens when he leans over to pick up a frisbee that somebody threw and then when he's coming up he gets whacked three stooges style by a guy walking past with a two by four so one interesting thing i want to touch on there is that you said he always loops when he gets knocked unconscious but I'm not sure that's true. We don't really get a concrete answer on that. We see that happen once or twice, or less, more than that. We see it happen maybe three or four times. But there are some times when he's doing something, and then it'll just cut back to the tent without any symbol or any depiction of what knocked him unconscious or what triggered the, the time loop starting over. That's true. So it's possible other things are doing it. I think we were just supposed to understand that something had happened. Because we do see a couple runs where he avoids the 2x4. And of course, Three Stooges style, the first time he does it, oh, the guy turns around and the board comes back the other way and hits him. But then it gets crazier than that because, like, the universe really seems to be out to get him. To the point that one of the times he actually gets hit by a rock from space. That's right, yeah. <laughs> I wanted to even, you're right. I think what they should have done is they should have A, done more of those, and B, spaced them out a little bit more, like had the escalation be a little bit more gradual till you get to the meteor landing or whatever it was. But I also think they kind of missed a comic beat here which is his resignation like if make it clear it always happens at the same time his resignation that he is going to get thunked in the face and that also would have been satisfying for a viewer because the more times we get to see this actor smacked in the face is really just a win for all of us (laughs) and it does happen at pretty much the exact same time every day right which raises the possibility that you know in happy death day Like, she could die at different times of the day, or premature, he could climax at different times of day. And that was, like, a variable that you arguably had control over. But here, fate seems to have a hand in it. That no matter what he does, it is almost like the clock in Groundhog Day. Right. Like, this is the time when it happens, at least that we get to see. Luke wakes up. And he's back in the tent. It's the same day over again. And unlike in most of the other movies we've seen, he just accepts this immediately. Okay, well, one thing I didn't say is right before he got hit in the face with the board, Luke expressed reservations that the band is not ready to perform yet. They're not good enough. They're not going to do a good job. And he wishes he had more time and that the day would go on longer. So he is in prime headspace to accept a time loop. He actually wishes that he could live the day over again, which is, I think, intended to be like the mystical supernatural cause of it. Right. So a little more concrete than some of the instances we've gotten 
not as concrete as others. There's no time cave portal here. But yeah, he wished for it. So we're, we're in liar, liar territory now. And so as soon as he wakes up, he turns to his friends and says, I'm time looping, guys. <laughs> so rather like the roommate in Happy Death Day to you. But unlike Ryan in that movie, the roommate, he doesn't have somebody who has just gone through this situation in a previous movie. So they are not primed to accept what he's saying. But now we're in for some repetitions of the day. It's a time loop movie, and we're going to get looping. I will say the plot summary does not need to be quite as in-depth here, because almost right from the start, Luke is working on how to make the day as good as possible. There's not quite as much soul-searching or trying different mental approaches to his situation. Right. Instead, we get each of the kind of individual threads that you described, a little progress, each loop on those. And there's a couple other minor subplots. We get some, there's this little girl who rides a bike and he always wants to help her get the bike going. And there's, what was the other one I was going to say? Oh yeah. And there's this homeroom teacher who he inadvertently says some nasty things about that the teacher overhears. And I guess he's also trying to figure out how to get the teacher on his good side. So we get, it's kind of like the experience grinding. You got to get a little bit better each loop on those. Although of course there are a couple of diversions. Right. Got to build up your skill stats. And I'm glad that you brought up the teacher. I was debating whether I would. This is a weird looking dude. <laughs> I thought I recognized the actor, but maybe I don't. He didn't have a lot of other appearances that I recognized. What he looks like is a McPoyle from It's Always Sunny. Just like a gross, gremlin-y looking dude. And his <laughs> name is Mr. Molesky. M-O-L-E-S-K-Y, which is one letter different from Mr. Molesty. So <laughs> I, I don't know if you want to be that. in his class. Yeah. Well, <laughs> I mean, he is weird looking in general, but the specific thing that the characters call out is that he has moles. So he's Mr. Molesky. He has moles. They didn't get too creative with the naming on here, or maybe they, they wanted us to accept like in Harry Potter, Remus Lupin happens to be the one who becomes the werewolf, you know? Oh, true. Yeah. You got to have a fitting name. Mr. Molesky is the one who has the, the moles. Meat is the guy who becomes the villain, the bully. There's something Dickensian about it. <laughs> One thing that Luke does initially invest a lot of time in is building up his skateboarding skills. And I was a little surprised by this because it seemed like the skating was really Riley's thing. But Riley never comments on, hey, that's, that's my thing. So, I don't know. Not a lot of importance is placed on the <laughs> development of other characters right that one i agree that that was weird the way that was it was set up it sort of ended up working from a thematic level because at that moment the first time we saw how left out that our main character felt when his buddy pulled off the good skating and started to get embraced by snake and the other skaters and that's eventually what luke manages to do 
And then he has an encounter with his buddies where they're like, dude, you, what are you doing? You're, you're drifting away from us. Like, we don't want to be friends with you if you're going to leave us hanging like that. So it, it does kind of come full circle to that extent. Yeah, indeed. That is what happens. Uh, Luke, as he gets more and more time to practice, gets better and better at skating and he's picking up the lingo. So, you know, each time he knows more and more of the skater wisdoms <laughs> that Snake is going to impart and so can can preemptively beat him to a skater proverb and just impress him all the more. And we get some really good lines from Snake. He says that skating is about the three ends, hanging, riding, and partying. I love that. And his big bit of wise skater knowledge is that you need to be one with your ride. <laughs> so early on when Luke is messing up, one of the things Snake says is, Oh man, you were seven with your ride. That's six too many. <laughs> but like Dan said, getting more and more in with the skater crowd starts to distance Luke from his friends, just as his sister had warned. And during this time, we also are catching glimpses of the sister's friends. She also has two unremarkable close friends who are just there to be part of friend group X. Uh, but we see that she has been hanging with the skater crowd and this is causing them to lose touch. It's sort of implied that she has a thing for Snake, but they don't really dig into that at all. Yeah, Snake does call her babe at one point. My other favorite Snake line is, How come you never told me about your micro bra, babe? <laughs> and, and micro bra is a really good term for little brother. Yeah, I like that. I didn't know bra was a thing back in 2007. I think of that being a little bit later, but I guess I guess Snake was maybe cutting edge on the, the vernacular of the day. Yeah, they really had their finger on the pulse with this movie. Broadly speaking, the whole time we are building towards the Groundhog Day style best playthrough, where Luke just has to do the right thing and find whatever the best interaction is to reach the best outcome of each little story thread, each little interaction with whatever important character we've come to know. And in this best playthrough that we get, Luke finally has a heart-to-heart -heart with his sister to start the day. You know, she gets to express that she wasn't she was just ribbing him. She didn't really want him to be scared of middle school. You know, it's just a brother and sister friendly joshing, but he'll be okay. You know, I'm there for you, dude. And he heads off into his day intent on interacting as best he can with each person. He teaches the little girl to ride the bike. And the message he imparts to her is just keep pedaling. Like, whatever happens, just roll with it. Just keep pushing through and you'll get it. I like some of these heart-to-hearts. I liked when it went a little more earnest. The conversation with the the sister, you know, it didn't cut too deep, but it was nice to have a, a reflective moment in kind of all this madness. And it was generally kind of inspiring to see him in cheering on the little girl riding the bike. 
Although I'll add, was there like a suggestion towards the end that she remembered him from previous time loops? Did you catch that? I was confused about that too. It did seem like a loop happened in between. In which case, I don't know how she would, because he does say, wait, you remember me? Exactly, yeah. I I might have to watch it again. I don't know if I will watch it again. Um, it could just as easily have been during that last loop. But yeah, I was a little confused in that moment. I feel like this movie didn't spend quite enough time really thinking through its time loop rules because I was a little bit less sold on this idea that he's always getting thwacked in some way to restart the loop because there were so many of them where we just cut straight back to the the tent again to the start of the day without seeing what triggered it. So yeah. Maybe the script needs one more revision. <laughs> one more edit. Yeah. Uh, but another thing that he does is blackmail meat because along the way he has come to learn that meat's real name is Melvin. And so he cuts off meat before he can do anything too villainous and says, now listen here, Melvin. I'm going to tell everybody at the middle school your real name if you don't straighten up and fly right. Melvin is not that weird a name. I was, like, listening to that. I mean, I'm not saying if I had a son, I would name him Melvin. But I'm not saying it would be a name where I'd come up and be like, no way, man. Like, it's that's not that weird of a name. If you had a son, would you name him Meat? <laughs> I'd name him Melvin before I named him Meat. Naming your kid Meat, it doesn't decrease the likelihood he's going to become the school bully, I would say. Well, he could always make friends with the bulks and skulls of the world. <laughs> and the, the binky barns. Uh, and of course, you know, Luke has had several run-ins with his crush, Alice, over the course of the movie. And never quite done things right. Never quite picked the best options from the dialogue tree. But here they have a scene in the teacher's butterfly garden. Apparently, each year, Mr. Molesky has a project where there are butterflies. Uh, to start with, you know, obviously they start as caterpillars and then they pupate. And then he's got the butterflies in this, like, greenhouse type setup or, like, in a tent. He teaches the students about the butterflies, and then they do this ceremony where they let the butterflies loose to fly. And so this is coming up, and it's what they'll do early on in the school year. It's a pretty obvious bit of symbolism, but it was certainly the most sophisticated symbolism in this film. This idea that what he needs to get out of this character arc of his last day of summer is... He needs to get out of his cocoon and learn to fly as a young middle schooler. Right. Middle school is the pupation stage. It's everybody is metamorphosing. <laughs> I, yeah, this was the point where the movie was raised a little bit in my mind because I thought this butterfly as metaphor for puberty worked fairly well and so he kind of expresses feelings to the crush he says i'm glad we're going to be in the same class next year which honestly is not too steamy i guess for a sixth grader you know it's it's a little smoother than saying hey let's get married like in <laughs> um bucket of blood yeah i agree uh, i mean it's fitting it's age appropriate that's what i was gonna say 
appropriate level of chastity for a Nickelodeon middle school movie. I like spending time with you. There you go. That's it. That works. And they smile at each other and share a moment. But it's apparently the sixth grade equivalent of hooking up with the brunette because (laughs) we haven't said it yet, but she's got dark hair. And next, Steel Monkey is able to take the stage. And they have some cool t-shirts. It's like a grimacing monkey face. Well, it's not just that. It's a metallic monkey. Like, there's your answer to your question. Steel like the metal. Also, it's spelled S-T-E-E-L. I don't know why they had to provide clarity on that. Like, or had Yeah, to read the dang that. marquee. <laughs> There's probably flyers up all over the neighborhood. But, you know, they, they get off to a little bit of a shaky start, but ultimately he keeps on pedaling, and the friends win over the crowd. It's a successful performance, and things are different now because we've departed from the standard course of events. He didn't get knocked out before the concert. But that crafty chipmunk puppet is up in the rafters at the concert and falls down and conks him on the head. And we get that little bit of fake out, which seems quintessential for a lot of time loop movies. The thought that, oh, no, he's actually still in the loop. But no, he's not. (laughs) He wakes up and it's the next day. He's in his bed. Although he ended up missing the first day of school because he got a traumatic head injury so that really bothered me it was a little strange because the whole thing was set up that oh you're gonna go off to middle school but actually he missed part of it and they kind of try to play up the fake out a little bit they're like well it's the last day of summer for you because you had a concussion and need to stay hospitalized for a day but the fake out didn't work at all for me so this goes back to what I was saying, part of my rewrite of this film. I have a few more rewrite notes we can get to in a bit, but more of the smacking, the head smacks. That's, that's good slapstick. Then then you can also get the, this last bit where he thinks he's finally had a successful day. And then this guy who's been like his uh, animal spirit falls on his head and knocks him out. You're thinking, Oh no, it's going to happen again. Like that's more discreetly implanted. And then you, you can't do the fake out unless you have a very similar framing of waking up for the day. Whereas here he's very clearly in a bed with a bandage on his head. It's not like in groundhog day when I've got you babe comes on the radio and we, the camera has strategically not shown us whether Andy McDowell is there or not. And so you actually can buy for a second that it is the the same day repeated here. Like there's really never any hesitation that it is, the next day i feel like that was a missed opportunity here Mm -hmm. yeah and i was still really struck to back up a bit just the first time that he enters the time loop i mean he wishes for it so he was ready for it but just that immediately no time (laughs) at all he wakes up huh it's yesterday again right they didn't do the one loop where everything is deja vu that's been kind of the the standard of what we've seen in these time loop movies it's weird. I had the strangest dream where I lived this exact day and weird things are happening exactly like it did in my dream. And then bam, it happens again. And that's when they accept it. I feel like you're right. You could have had one loop where it kind of examined that a little bit more. So what were some things that you appreciated about this film, Dan? Some good things you might say. Well, I would say time loops make basically everything better. You could have 
had a bland last day of summer drama and it wouldn't have been as fun if it wasn't a time loop. I just like time loops. So I would say take the basic structure of this type of comedy where he's got to overcome stuff and feel confident about going forward. Like you're kind of early coming of age tale and throwing a time loop in there. It's just fun. It's, it's cool to see the, uh, him kind of living through it. And it also allows for a little bit of a stronger arc, I think in general, like to me that really stuck out here because you get to really see him have a crappy day. And if it's all in one day and it starts crappy and it gets good, how much can you actually grow in a single day, you know? But if you have it happening over several days and we get to see how things play out differently as his attitude shifts a little bit, that just is structure that lends itself to uh, more obvious character growth. And, and I enjoyed that. Yeah, I agree. If we didn't have a time loop here, we wouldn't have a movie. So we would have maybe like a 20 minute episode of a TV show, but this was able to get us to the feature length and not feel overlong. Yeah. I don't know. I feel like there are, I mean, I guess most of the Disney channel, original movies, Nick movies have some sort of hook, some sort of high concept, mm-hmm. but I feel like there are plenty of movies pitched this age that don't have much more of a concept than you're starting middle school tomorrow and you don't want to. Like that's a pretty germane concept in and of itself. And I just think the time loop heightens it. Time loops make everything better. That's my uh, my good thing point in summary. Nice. Most of the things I've already hit on, but got to give Snake his due praise. I hope this actor went on to other things <laughs> because his delivery of all the lingo is pretty great. And then when he cheers for them at the concert, it's actually like a victory. Like I was like, oh yeah, snakes on your side and you didn't have to like do your skateboard and stuff. He likes you for you being what you really are. Yeah. Because when you find what your thing is and embrace it, you are one with your ride, which is his whole philosophy. I just want to reiterate. I liked the feeling of the movie. It really did feel summery to me and like end of summary, I guess makes sense. Last day of summer. It was good for me. It was fun to like go back to when it's kind of hard to think about now as an adult, like how much that defined the rhythm of your life when summer wasn't just nice weather. Like now for me, if if I'm getting excited about the warm weather, it's so I can go out and take a walk and not feel really uncomfortable or have to be stepping in snow. But for kids, it's freedom. It's, it's your your one period where you can do whatever you want. You can hang out with your friends. You can live your peak ideal life just however you want to do it. And I feel like this movie kind of captured the almost dread of, of losing that. Although it kind of framed it more about fear of how middle school is different. But there, I think, still kind of worked. And sadness that this summer, the, the magic of it was was coming to an end. Yeah, it does a good job of capturing the season and also capturing some things I remembered from middle school, like the girls being taller and just the vibe. That's something that comes up (laughs) frequently in my commentary on this podcast, but this is one that, you know, some shortcomings aside, I think that is a strength. Agreed. Also, 
just in terms of this being the 25th episode of our podcast and having for the last four episodes discussing or the last you know over the last weeks discussing x many time loop movies it felt refreshing to have low stakes and a bit lower budget and my rating on this one is not going to be as high as some recent weeks, but it feels like the tension is off and it feels like I can balance the scales a little bit. Right. And it, it just feels like a fresh, cool breeze. Yeah. I also wanted to, again, give kudos to the writers for the butterfly garden and maybe it's a little on the nose, but I did not expect a climax that was so thematically poignant. Just having metamorphosis of the butterflies equals puberty. And also that the butterflies are about to be released into the world. It's like, go and and find your wings. And it worked for me. I agree. And it made me even more annoyed that we don't actually see him get to witness it. The first day of school with all the... But he could have had shared a moment with Alice... As they flew flew away, he could have, I don't know, like some comment from his sister about how how good he's doing on his first day after it kind of opened with her ragging on him about it. And instead, he was like in a hospital bed with a bandage on his forehead, looking out a window at one butterfly. Yeah, but we do get that butterfly as the last shot. So yeah. that's cool. Yeah. <laughs> so would you say uh, maybe you did say but that one of the good things is that the time loop restarts with him getting hit in the face <laughs> that was on the plus side for me i mean regardless of the snark about how wasn't too fond of the lead actor that was just like a fun very middle school slapsticky way to have a time loop is you're gonna get thunked on the face no matter what you know yeah this is like Diary of a Wimpy Kid does the time loop. Right. Did you have anything else good to highlight? Just real quick, Jeanette McCurdy. I always liked her. I always thought she was the best part of iCarly. Glad to see her. Wish we had more of her. Also, one I thought you were going to bring up here, but you didn't, is it opens with a banger. Bowling for Soup, who after we watched it, I kind of opened up a little bit on how Bowling for Soup was a big band for me back in the day and you had a fun connection to them as well but my greatest day is that what it's called yeah i thought i did write that down as a note i don't know i, I got lost in the shuffle of version updates but yes we get a performance of this uh, de facto theme song of the movie greatest day by bowling for soup and the goods connection here that might not be initially apparent is that Jarrett Reddick, the frontman of Bowling for Soup, took over as the voice of Chuck E. Cheese <laughs> round about 2015. So shortly after we took our deep dive into the Rockafire slash Chuck E. Cheese fandom, the original voice of Chuck E. Cheese, who had been doing it since 1980, was recast. And Jarrett Reddick took over. So now anytime I hear a Bowling for Soup song, it's, Hey, wait a minute, that's Chuck E. Cheese! It's funny. I understand, Dan, that you are a little bit more familiar with this band and their work. Yeah, so my connection to Bowling for Soup is the first 
album that I ever bought for myself that my parents did not approve of me owning. It had the parental advisory on it was their album from sometime around, I don't know, 03 or 04 called A Hangover You Don't Deserve. And they were kind of my gateway into pop punk. I knew them from the, the 1985 song and they have another one called The Girl All the Bad Guys Want that is, I think, even better than 1985. But they were like an important band right as I was realizing in my life that I could have my own taste in music that was separate from basically what my dad played on the radio, which might be a dumb thing that you might think doesn't need to be a realization. But for me, that was like, that was a kind of a turning point for me. Yeah. My brother is still really into them. He got even more into them than I was. And they're just, the band's kind of always been around. They've done a lot of fun covers. Um, they're a good time. There's another episode of my brother's radio show where they did dad music and it's music introduced to you by your dad. And the co-host talked about it a little more about getting introduced to edgy bands like Linkin Park. I think that was an example he gave. Yeah. Foo Fighters was another big one for people our age of like your first band that wasn't what your dad played. Right. But in my case, something my dad played that set me off in a new direction in sixth grade was an album by Tom Lehrer. Are you familiar? No. So he's a satirist from the 1960s who initially he did some dark songs. He did one called Poisoning Pigeons in the Park. But then what got him to wider renown is he had this ongoing stint doing like timely satire songs on this like parody news show. So it's all stuff about like the cold war, like Werner von Braun and, <laughs> uh, you know, salt and like China getting the nuclear bomb. <laughs> so that's where my sense of humor comes from is like cold war satire. Very formative on me, despite being a couple decades late. It's neither here nor there in, in relevance to our current discussion, but I, it has colored my taste in pop culture. Was that before or after Night of the Living Dead terrified you on TV? Uh, a couple years later. So, like, I saw Night of the Living Dead when I was nine, and this was probably when I was 11. Gotcha. But yeah, he has a he has an album called That Was the Year That Was and it's all about things that happened in 1969. So it's it's been a while. That's fun. Yeah. It reminds me of how Dave Barry, obviously it's not musical, but he would always write a one a year year in review uh, column the the humorous Dave Barry and how I once got a book of a whole bunch of those and I always, even though I had no idea, like the headlines from like 1984 or whatever, you know, just some random year, I would still love to read it and like try to imagine what he was actually talking about and like what the joke was and probably honestly learned some modern history from those then. Uh, so, yeah, I, I kind of see what you're saying there. Yeah, it's a unique experience to go back and consume something topical from a long time ago. Right. And just to see, like, what things still matter 
and what things were really just a flash in the pan. You know, the 24-hour news cycle, you gotta have some new news story all the time. But what is actually history? <laughs> so, there we go. Just a, a nice little segue <laughs> to kind of bring us back into line with time loop discussion. I did have one more good thing that I wanted to mention, and this is another small thing. In the first loop, there's a throwaway line about like him being nervous about the talent show. And someone's like, why are you so nervous, man? Our competition is just my cousin playing tuba or something like that. And I wrote down, I had a note, hope we get to see the tuba. And then sure enough, the very last loop, when we actually get to see them perform, we have a brief segment where we have a, a tuba duet and they're really, really good. And they, they call back to that. So I was very grateful we got to see the tuba duet. <laughs> Me too. What were some things you did not enjoy quite as much about 2007's The Last Day of Summer? I've managed to call out uh, several of them as we've gone through. I won't necessarily repeat myself. Um, <laughs> uh, but as for some not so good things, I don't want to go overboard on it. Okay, so here, let me, let me phrase it this way. I'm going to cut the movie some slack on the cast because when you're dealing with 13-year-old boys, and I looked it up, he was 13 when this debuted you're going to have a hard time finding a lot of charm, a lot of self-awareness. That said, I really want to emphasize that the main character's lack of acting and charm really turned me off the film quite a bit. And I'm never going to hold it too much against movies like this to have, have a bad cast, but it really made me wish that they could have found the right person to, to carry it, to hit the different... Because we've talked a lot about how we've been appreciative when our, the main character like is able to capture the different stages of the time loop, even if they don't seem like they might at first, like we talked about that was tree and the happy death day movies, how she actually ended up capturing the arc of growth despite, despite the fact that it was a slasher movie ostensibly managed to hit some of those groundhog day growth things and acted it well. And then in premature, we also liked the, lead actor's ability to depict kind of the different emotional phases of that time loop. Whereas this guy really didn't do that at all. And it had me doing some research. Like, was it really implausible for me to ask for an actor who could have done it? So I looked for actors who would have been between 12 and 15 at the time of this filming, who could have potentially played this role. 15 would have been pushing it. You grow a lot as a boy from between the ages of 12 and 15. So I think you would have noticed if someone was even just a couple years older. Um, unfortunately, Ned from Ned's Declassified, Devin Workheiser, he was 16 when it was filmed. But man, can you just imagine how much better this movie would have been if Devin Workheiser had been the star? He's so good at like capturing that escalating, not dread, but like exasperation at everything going on around you but also like emotionally having chemistry with the other actors around you and like connecting with what's going on uh, i think this movie would have been way better with him and there are other actors who wouldn't have been at the same time like we know that nickelodeon has a history of getting actors from around this age to do pretty compelling work you had keenan and kel they might have been a little older when they started on all that you had drake and josh of course and even we know that iCarly is in the picture. I think the actor who played Freddie, Nathan Kress, 
he would have been 14 or 15 as opposed to the 13 that Jansen, how do you say his last name again? Panettiere. Panettiere was. So he would have been a little bit older, but he definitely would have had a little more chops in this. And then I was reading and reading what were the shows going on at the time. And it hit me. There is one guy who would have been absolutely the best. And it's just such a huge missed opportunity that they didn't cast this guy. Do you know who Nat Wolf is? Is he in the Naked Brothers Band? Yeah, he's, I think, the youngest brother in the Naked Brothers Band. But he is like a legit actor. And you could even tell it. In, I didn't watch that much Naked Brothers Band. But he has gone on to be in several dramedies where he has to carry the emotional weight of the film. And if you could have had him there, I think this movie... And he would have been exactly 13 when this was filmed. So to me, go remake this movie back in 2007. But instead cast Nat Wolf as the star and it instantly bumps up at least one rating in my book. All right. Well, I have not consumed the Naked Brothers band in its entirety, but they recorded a song called I Don't Want to Go to School where they just say, <laughs> I don't want to go to school. Yes, it's true. Pretty much over and over. And it's a very bad song. <laughs> Speaking of bad songs, how bad was that song that they performed at the talent show? It was really not good. It was as bland as bland can be. Again, they're a middle school band, not going to hold it against them. But uh, they should have done their version of Greatest Day. That would have been so much more satisfying. That would have been good. Well, one of the things I was going to list as, as not being very good is the score overall. Like the soundtrack was okay. The songs they picked that existed previously. But like the incidental music that's in the background sounds really cheap and fake it's like somebody's got the keyboard like in the background of Rugrats, but less inspired. It's just like very tinny, fake MIDI instruments. I don't know if that stuck out to you. It's just like, at this point, just have no music. That specifically didn't stand out to me. This is the second movie that we've watched in our show's history that was very clearly a TV movie and all layers of its production values. The other one being Sharpay's Fabulous Adventure. To some extent, I'm kind of of the mindset that it is what it is. If it's a TV movie, you got to accept that. It didn't stand out to me as as particularly bad, but I certainly believe you. And if I ever watch this again, I will definitely uh, keep my ear out for that badness. It's definitely a bellwether of the budget. Shows what kind of money was being thrown at this thing. That said, I will give credit that they cast middle school actors to play middle school characters. It's like, they are believable as being that age, <laughs> Yeah, you know, as the high school musicals went on. But I mean, even a little bit at the beginning, they were a little on the older side. Of Definitely. The ages they were portraying. I think I've pitched you basically all of my proposed rewrites to make this a little bit better. But here's one that I thought about. I couldn't figure out exactly how it would work, but I'm just going to spitball it with you here. We see them at the beginning meeting two girls and in line with his kind of discovery of how he wants to live his middle school life, thought it would have been interesting if his mind changed on which girl he liked as he lived through the different days and like got to see more of them. That might've been one side plot too many, but like if it had started with him having a thing for Jeanette McCurdy and then switching to the nice brunette or perhaps even breaking our brunette streak and going the other way, like at first he likes this, this one Alice girl, and then, I don't know, as he gets to know her, he realizes he doesn't have anything in common with her. And 
ends up deciding he likes Jeanette McCurdy. I mean, that's basically the plot twist of uh, Premature. So I don't need to superimpose that on every single movie we watch, but it was just an idea I had. So I take it you're a SETI shipper and not a Creddy shipper. <laughs> so wait, so that would be Sam and Freddy from iCarly? Oh, yeah, Indeed. absolutely. Yeah. There was like a few episodes where they were together and those two had the best chemistry out of anyone in the cast. I kind of followed that show as it was coming out. And apparently there was a lot of onset drama about who liked who and got along with who. And the actor who played Sam and the actor who played Freddie were like best friends. And I think that carried over in the show, especially later in the show's run, where they actually seemed to be enjoying their scenes together. Whereas anything with Miranda Cosgrove, who played uh, Carly, did not have that same energy. I have not watched that much of it, but I know that my brother was a devoted follower. And I also know that it just dropped on Netflix. At least, I think it's just the first two seasons so far. But yeah, if you want to just keep the Teen Nick vibes going strong, tune in to iCarly now on Netflix. Drake and Josh was a very important show to me as... I was weirdly kind of old for it, but it really connected with me. That's what I was digging for earlier when I asked about your, your Nick experience. But I guess it was a, a little bit before this time. Yeah, but Drake and Josh was a big one for me. Well, obviously there was some cast member carryover. Crazy Steve from Drake and Josh plays the older brother. That actor's name is, I think, Jerry Trainer. And then obviously Megan, who's the mischievous little sister in... Drake and Josh is the star, Miranda Cosgrove, of iCarly. And I knew that it was the same writer-producer guy. So I, I kept up with that one. It's it's not as good. Drake and Josh is all around just these two brothers that are their best friends in real life, the actors were. But just everything about them, they were foils to each other in every way and had perfect on-screen chemistry that made any of the scenes work, even if the punchlines weren't that good. They were just so good together. So I'll always have a soft place in my heart for Drake and Josh. And it was enough of a goodwill bump to keep keep me up with, uh, with iCarly. So before we throw a rating on this thing, we will, as we always do, revisit the things that make the film we're featuring today similar and different to the grandfather of Time Loop Movies, Groundhog Day. So just a couple bullet points to hit, some things that are the same. Obviously, the loop begins with the protagonist waking up. Has been consistent. Have Has that changed in any of the other films you've explored this month, Dan? Uh, yes, one. Source code. It operates much like a time loop movie, but it's not strictly a time loop in the same sense. But that always starts with him basically on a train in this like kind of just becoming awake and aware at this specific moment. And so like the first couple times he goes through it, like he doesn't quite know exactly what's happening. Why am I here again? And there's like some tension and comedy for the fact that like he's freaking out the people around him. Cause he doesn't get why he's right there, but that's the only one I've seen that does not involve waking up. Cool. My experience with time loops prior to this month was not that broad a couple shorts that i did want to recommend to you and i guess by extension to our listeners one is the chapter christmas every day from mickey's once upon a christmas it's the huey dewey and louie segment 
where they live the same Christmas day over and over. Um, I believe that one does start with them waking up. But there's another one. It's a scene in Rod Serling's Night Gallery, which was the show that he did after Twilight Zone. Mm, interesting. And I think the episode was called Camera Obscura. That show is super strange, and I got to revisit it again. But in this episode, there's like a guy running down the street, and he can't make any progress because little bits of his journey keep looping. Oh, man. And so it's like he, he can't make it down the street because he keeps jumping back a couple <laughs> blocks. Oh, that, that actually sounds really intriguing. I want to go look that up. Some other similarities in both films, and it seems pretty common to the subgenre as a whole. It's a virtuous playthrough of the time loop that sets you free. It's like hit all the narrative beats the right way and you'll get out. I'd like to spin that slightly differently. It's more of a victorious playthrough because he ends up blackmailing the bully, which I guess you could argue about the moral merits of, but it wasn't so much that he morally transcended the bullyism, but he found a way to defeat the bully. Good call. Things turn out better for the characters we're invested in with things this way. And I mean... I guess he's getting blackmailed, but if it makes the bully's actions better, this is getting into one, <laughs> se one semester of philosophy territory as well. It's like, if the results are good, but the means are manipulative, what is the overall karmic influence on the universe? Hard to say. And this movie is not particularly concerned with digging into that. So I would say I was wondering if it was going to go that route, actually, where like he tries different ways of overcoming the bully that are all negative or reciprocal in some way. But ultimately, like, I don't know, bonds with him or like figures out the things he like and helps him in that way. Or I don't know, something like that, where it would be. It would be a mediation, not a conquering. Yes, they could have humanized meat a bit more. <laughs> we did get to see Luke spending a lot of time mastering a skill, which is something that's very prominent in Groundhog Day. We haven't seen as much of that this month, uh, except arguably in Happy Death Day when Tree has to learn the mathematics. I guess in um, Palm Springs, Kristen Milioti also studies the science. So, Also, I, wanted, I was going to point out, sorry, I'm kind of interspersing plot thought points as we get to these comparisons. So the whole skateboarding thing culminates in that one loop where he and his friends kind of have a falling out for one loop. But it's never referenced after that. I think that is one of the last loops, maybe even the second last. I can't remember specifically, but it kind of feels like they needed to bring in the skating in the last loop. They didn't at all. Like, I don't know, he did a sweet ollie on stage when he was playing guitar or something like that. Yeah, they should have brought that back, made it a little more cohesive. But I guess that's just a skill that he's got in his back pocket now. He'll, he'll bust out his heelys when he gets to middle school. Yeah, I feel like next time he and his friends are just like casually skateboarding, he'll be like 
ripping sweet moves off the half pipe in the bowl or whatever. They'll be like, what? when did this come from? We also get a scene where the protagonist convinces someone that they are stuck in a time loop. And also in Groundhog Day, as well as here, the scene happens in an environment where food is prominent. Interesting. So in Groundhog Day, they're at the diner. And here they're at like the food court of the fairground. But it's a similar moment where, you know, it's like Bill Murray, a plate's going to drop in three seconds. Boom. And here the kid is doing the same thing. It's like, oh, they're going to, that person is going to buy a balloon or whatever. He's, you know, he's got the timetable. It's the exact same beat. But it also had me wondering, how many loops do you think he goes through in this? Because to know things to the level that he does, it feels like, I don't know, you'd need a lot of loops to know. I mean, maybe he just has those five minutes memorized would be a little easier. But if you're going to know the whole park to that level of detail, that's at least hundreds of days. But otherwise, I didn't get a sense that this was hundreds of days. I got the sense that it was like 15 days or something. Yeah, I did not get a clear sense of it here, how long it was. But, you know, it could have been a while. We get the days where it's very truncated and it just shows a flash. We do see a calendar, like a little calendar animation of the page flying by and by and by. Mm. So it could be a while. Right. It's probably not years, though, or the equivalent of years. No, probably not. Uh, One thing I thought was interesting is we also get a climactic scene of the protagonist performing music, which we got Mm. in Groundhog Day when he's, you know, playing the honky-tonk piano. That's a good pull. It also kind of felt back to the future-y, because they're on guitars here. That's right. He does, like, the cool shredding pose, the same way Michael J. Fox does. Mm -hmm. I didn't go to a lot of events in school where they had a live band, but senior year of college i went to the like wrap-up finale dance it was called the king and queen ball because it was at william and mary but the guitarist of the band was like a middle-aged like jimmy buffett guy and he did end by they played johnny be good and he did the whole thing where he had the guitar behind his head and oh, nice. i like that a lot have you <laughs> have you seen the uh the youtube video of the middle school band doing a weezer's doing a performance of a Weezer song. No. <laughs> it's really funny. The guys, the keyboard players, uh, first of all, Weezer doesn't have a keyboard. So why there was a keyboard player, I don't know. But they get like 30 seconds into the song, maybe not even. And the keyboard collapses onto the ground off of the stand. And the band just stops playing and looks around at each other. And then the host of the talent show comes up and makes a joke. And everybody kind of like, awkwardly claps not sure whether or not to cheer and it, it was just this is the funniest thing combination of middle school awkwardness and just a schadenfreude of, of watching that so i gotta send that one to you but thinking of middle schoolers we're gonna have a lot of good supplemental media for this episode so t- check out our blog at earnless.net where we'll have a, a little bit of bonus content And I gave the Naked Brothers Band a hard time a couple minutes ago. But if you want a good Naked Brothers Band song, you should check out Fruit Smoothie. Or actually, it's a Banana Smoothie. Banana Smoothie by the Naked Brothers Band. That's, in my opinion, their biggest hit. I'll have to to give it a listen. 
a couple things that differentiated this movie from Groundhog Day. Obviously, you've got a different age range of the central characters. They're much younger. Even younger than in Premature. Is this the youngest you could go in a time loop movie? I think it probably is. Because any younger than this, you're not even capable of thinking about the world in that lens, really. I don't know. It would be harder to go much further. Like, you couldn't couldn't use a baby very well. But I, I don't know. I guess you have an internal life a little earlier than this. But yeah, the, the stakes potentially get lower. When you have less agency. So there's there's less you can do to affect your surroundings. And then, kind of the same, kind of different. We've got a loop mechanic here where when he gets hit on the head, the day starts over. So it's kind of like Happy Death Day or, I mean, in Palm Springs or in Groundhog Day, if you die, you restart. So it's, it's pretty par for the course of what we've seen. Although I thought it was interesting that it happened at the same time every day. So I got the sense that fate had a hand in this, like I mentioned. Right. It was like right when he did his wish, too. So there was like that sort of mystical magic around it. Are you ready for our central pivotal segment? Yes. All right. So in some ways it's like Groundhog Day. In some ways it's not. Would you give 2007's The Last Day of Summer the same score that you gave Groundhog Day, Dan? (laughs) Uh, That's going to be a no from me, dog. So, I did give Groundhog Day our masterpiece rating 8 out of 8, Torde Good. I will not be giving that to this movie. So, I think that this movie kind of works for what it is, in that it's a TV movie that you don't go into with very high expectations for the acting or the production quality or the polish on the script. And I think it matches those expectations. If, you, if those were the ones that you would bring, I think it goes a little worse than you might expect on the acting performances of the leads, but I felt like it did some things really nice. I, I liked the overall feeling, the vibe of the, the last day of summer, like we already talked about. And there were some nice touches, some nice moments, the connection with the sister the butterfly thing. Um, so for me, it gets saved from a two out of eight, but only barely. I'm going to give it a three out of eight, a low three out of eight, a not, not good. I smiled, but often it was smiling at the badness of things. And by the end, I was just disappointed. It hadn't executed it a little bit better, but it was certainly not a waste of time. So I was right that this movie is going to rank differently from some of our recent picks. I get to finally assign a lower score. But what this pick will not deliver is dissension between us. Because I agree. I also put this one down as a three. A not not good. And it was honestly refreshing. I'm glad we watched something that was not (laughs) high tier art. Not as compelling in terms of character development as what we've been watching so far. The budget is considerably lower. But it's not Drek. It's not a worthless filmic exercise. Uh, We really got middle school age actors telling a middle school story. And I think 
it was what my brother was looking for when he tuned in uh, as like a fifth grader. So I think it has its market. It was fun tuning into an older relic, really. It's like a time capsule that I would not have visited had we not assigned this theme month. So here at the end of time loop month, the value of our exercise has become apparent to me. I think I will be in the spirit for other theme months in the future. That's good. I will say that I could see seeing this movie again about fifth grade, like your brother saw it and really having a lot of nostalgia for it. Really having it be something that kind of stuck with you. And I have a movie that I fondly remember that for all I know is no better than this. That also is built around a memorable day in the life of an elementary or middle schooler that I will be recommending at some point that I have a lot of nostalgia for. And that is another Nickelodeon original movie called Snow Day. I can't remember if that one was in theaters or on TV. I think it was probably in theaters. It had a little bit higher production values, but I don't want to be hypocritical and say that uh, I would I would hold it against anyone who saw this in their, their youth and, and really valued it because it does have a lot of charm. So that's all. Yeah, ultimately, I'm glad that I finally got around to watching it, even if it will fade from my memory in the not-too-distant future. Well, that is Time Loop Month on The Goods, and I'm hoping we are about to escape the loop. Is that a fair supposition, Dan? Let's see. Bill Murray just fell asleep, and he woke up. What's that? The clock flips down to 5.59 from 6 o'clock. The camera pans. And is Andy McDowell in the bed this time? Brian, we opened this month with me saying that one of the reasons I wanted to do time loops as a themed month is because there were meta elements of it in repeating the same thing over and over again. And what is one thing that has popped up in every single one of these movies? Well, when you're ready for it to end, it doesn't end. There's one more than at least one more loop than you really want to go through. So I don't know how much you're going to hate me for this, for having to dominate our podcast, but we're, we're getting that one extra loop, the one we thought we should have escaped by now. I'm sad to say, I'm sorry to say. It's, it's still, Andy McDowell is not in the bed. The camera pans and it's put on your booties and it's just Bill Murray there. Oh man, well, I got to be hitting the dating apps hard this coming week and maybe I'll find my brunette and we can uh, avoid this fate by two weeks from now. But what what's on the docket? We will be watching Edge of Tomorrow, the 2014 science fiction action film starring Tom Cruise. And I wanted to do this in part because at the beginning of the month, I just could not narrow down my three choices to two. I really wanted to watch all three of um, Premature, Palm Springs, and Edge of Tomorrow. But as, the, as it went along, I felt like with the exception of the happy death days, we didn't really get one that was more about the genre elements. It was more about interpersonal relationships. And when I say genre elements, I mean 
action, horror, etc. I really wanted something that was like an action version, like a blockbuster version, not just a kind of indie comedy, lightweight comedy thing. And I think that there, I haven't seen Edge of Tomorrow. Have you seen Edge of Tomorrow? No, but if I had to pick one more, that was going to be number three. So I'm happy. I'm appeased. Okay. <laughs> um, I'm hoping it'll be something just a little bit different, maybe a little higher budget, a little more actiony. I've heard good things about it and I'm excited to see it. So Yeah, me too. The people who I know who did see it had good things to say. I got to say, I always skipped out on it because the title just sounds really dumb and really generic. Like I didn't know that it was a time loop movie of sorts. Although I don't know if it's actually time loop or, or what it is, but it falls under that umbrella. So I'm excited to see it. Yeah, for me, Edge of Tomorrow only says a hair more than something like some kind of wonderful. <laughs> but we shall see. I would also say, listeners, if you haven't gotten enough of us in the last two or so hours, this was our 25th episode. So we've been doing this around about six months at this point. Look forward in our feed to an upcoming sort of episode 25A or something, 25.5 special, where we will be doing a retrospective and a look forward at what's to come. Kind of a moment to touch base on how we got to this point and where we're going. And one fun thing that I'm hoping we're going to be able to do is a sort of awards show where we look at some of the best and maybe a couple of the worst of 25 weeks of Dan and Brian on The Goods, a film podcast. And that's what you've been listening to. And we thank you for joining us once again. Check in next time as Time Loop Month bleeds into March. <laughs> Bye, everybody. Bye.